Welcome to the Three to Ten Project. Two white, cisgendered males who've been friends for over 25 years, exploring race, gender, and education by talking through the intersection of our experiences with what we're reading, listening to, and thinking about. And most importantly, considering how to show up moving forward. It's a long-term commitment, three to 10 years of anti-racist culture building. I'm Mark. I'm Reed. Just a quick note on the name for this podcast. Three to 10 Project has been borrowed from Resma Menicum. You can learn more about this idea and about Resma at the link shared in the podcast description. Let's get to it. Yep, and that's Mark's footsteps. Turns out he's a bit more coherent when he is running. Okay, good morning, Mark. Hey. I can hear that you're out for a run, but I can also hear farm animals in the background. <laughs> and, and, I, and I know the reason, so... <laughs> it's not just the two of us. For the first time, this is not just the two of us. We have someone joining us today, which we're really excited about. Someone who's been mentioned many times before and who also spends a fair amount of our time outdoors with animals, as we can tell. But Jonna is finally joining us, Mark's wife. Jonna, welcome. Thank you. It's it's so good to have you. I We've known each other for... Um, I guess a little, maybe about 20 years, a little over 20 years. Um, 23 years. 23. 20, 23. Okay. All right. So 23 years and <laughs> you've been my boss a couple times. Uh, and uh, yep. a, a, a good mentor. We can get into that at another time, but um, we're really excited to have you here. I'm glad you're joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I've heard so much about these conversations. I couldn't wait to join. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we wanted you to come on because you two, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, you two have been doing some work locally that really connects to the kind of, you know, standing up and trying to take action work that, that Mark and I are thinking about through this uh, process. So yeah, you know, maybe you can just start and talk about like what um, is going on uh, in your community and, and sort of what you're trying to accomplish and, and what's working, what's not? Uh, what can you share with us? Yeah, so we recently started um, with some other people in the community, um, the Coalition for Diversity, Equity, and Social Justice. And it's a group of about, at this point, about 70 community members from three local towns, Rentham, uh, Norfolk, and Plainville. And those are the towns that feed into the middle school and high school where we live. And this started um, after the murder of George Floyd. We've been frustrated with the district for since we've moved here about the lack of, I guess, current and relevant teaching resources and um, sort of a, a resistance to allowing the students to have conversations about um, current events, politics, anything that could cause conflict. Um, 
kids were, were pretty much told not to talk about it. And I, mm-hmm. I got that secondhand from kids, but I, we also got that in emails, particularly around, um, November, you know, before November with the election coming up, that there was a moratorium for students on, on discussing it. So, so we've had, we've been frustrated for a long time. And after the murder of George Floyd, the superintendent sent out a, a statement of support for the BIPOC community, but it was super vague and said that the district would continue to figure out ways to teach kids to, you know, live in a diverse world. So I had emailed the superintendent, um, a pretty detailed email, really not unlike the one that Joanna sent to to her Mm -hmm. um, superintendent, um, asking what the plans were for, you know, hiring a more diverse staff, making sure that curriculum was updated, making sure that that the voices of the BIPOC community were elevated. Um, and I, I got back the strangest email, which was a collection of responses from teachers in the district about what they're doing in their classrooms um, to address these issues. Really not answering any of my questions, but, but putting forth information that, that caused me even more concern, such as, you know, we're using the book Night to teach about the Jewish experience and the kite runner to teach about the Muslim experience. Mm -hmm. So obviously very concerning. (laughs) Do do you Um, think that, that, I mean, why do you think the superintendent or the school committee or whoever even sent out any initial, like, why did they say, you know, we're, we're, we have a statement of support and we care about this stuff in the first place. Like, cause I, su- what, I yeah. suspect there was pressure like yeah. from probably from the, um, from, from the department of ed, everybody was doing it. So he probably felt like he had to as well. Mm. So more performance than, I mean, it could have it, it, either, I don't want to say maybe it was disingenuine. I mean, I see similar things all over the place, but at the very least, people are saying things and don't have much depth of understanding behind it. Is you know, at, at the very least, it seems. Yeah, it seemed really odd coming from our district because we'd never gotten any kind of statement like that before, mm. and there are obviously other incidents that have been happening for a long time including racial incidents in our district. Mm-hmm. So it, it did seem performative. Um, and it, the wording was so awkward. I, I couldn't imagine what he was talking about that the district would be continuing to do to move the work forward. Right. So I wanted to give him the opportunity to think that through and explain it. Right. And do you and feel like so, progress has, has, has anything yeah. happened since then? Has progress been made? So I, I, it, I guess what happened was I started watching Facebook. You know, I don't really Facebook because I think that brings out the worst in humans, but I do watch it. <laughs> and I was watching our district's web uh, page where some parents were commenting. And I noticed one parent sort of um, making a negative comment about what's been done about diversity, equity, inclusion. And so I reached out to her 
And she introduced me to another parent who's been really active in the community. And then it became a large group of us sort of in an email exchange with the, with the district. Um, and then out of that, we started our first meeting, um, which I referred to in the beginning, you know, this, the, the coalition. Um, and we've been trying to get organized on how we can apply pressure to the district to make change. And, and we've really started re- just with doing research on like what's actually happening there, um, what's happening with the school boards or their open seats, what kind of clubs and gathering spaces exist for kids and, um, you know, establishing like a mission, vision and goals document. And so that mm-hmm. that's been very interesting, the mission, vision, goals stuff, because that's really where, you know, when you think about this work, I, I've had friends who've said to me, you know, every time we go into this work in different spaces, it ends up being terrible for people of color because mm-hmm. white people get uncomfortable and then they say, I'm done. I didn't sign up for this. This is getting out of hand. And that is exactly what is starting to happen in our group. Hmm. And so it's just, you know, it's sort of interesting to watch and be a part of and, and you know, have a responsibility to respond to. Sure. What's the, can, can I just ask the group, you said there's about 70 people who, who've had some, maybe some level of activity in that. What's the uh-huh. makeup of that group? I mean, like racially and gender wise, what would you say is the breakdown yeah. of, of your group? It's mostly white women. Yeah. Um, there, there are a few um, uh, people of color, maybe like literally three or four mm-hmm. um, out, of, out of that group that I'm aware of. Um, and there are a few men, but again, it's like maybe, maybe it's four that I've actually, no, five or six that I've actually seen. It's mm-hmm. mostly white women. It's mostly it, mommy, but not yeah. all. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there, are there any people in that group who have ties within the system? I mean, any teachers or people that are, it, that they're actually within the school system or is, is it all community, uh, broader community members? Um, it's all community members. There are a couple of people who I think have seats on the elementary school board. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And there's a lot of educators, but not that work in this district that work in neighboring districts. Right. Right. If you're already seeing tension within that group and it's, are, are you making, like, do you, have you established enough of a mission, vision, goals that you feel like we can work on something or uh, are you not there yet? Like, so, so the last meeting we put, we, the mission vision team, which is just five of us. Yeah. And really two of us have been doing a lot of the work. Um, me and, and, a, and, and a, a parent who has three kids who graduated from the schools and were, you know, racially harassed for their Mm. entire school careers. We've been working together on that. We put it in front of the group. We knew that there was language in there that was going to put people off. But we also didn't want this. Like, I don't think either of us are interested in being part of a performative group or a group that just wants to work on 
like diversity and inclusion to make ourselves feel good and to have our kids have a better experience like that. Mm -hmm. This, this work grew out of the black lives matter movement. You know, Mark and I were volunteering for the ACLU when, when Donald Trump first got elected and like, you know, going to the police department to ask questions about their relationship to ICE. So, so we're coming at it with a very, a very specific lens and focus on real outcomes. And, and I think, you know, we knew that not everybody's coming with their own stuff. We're all in different places and that's fine. But um, we also wanted to create the opportunity to like get that out there get the conflict out. If it's going to be there, let's get it out now and let's work through it and, and see where we land. And we may land in a very bad place, you know, <laughs> like we might not all continue together. Um, but I think it's important to be clear. Like I'm, I'm not here to play around and to feel good. I don't need to feel good in this work. Uh, I'm Jonna, okay with being uncomfortable. Yep. Can I interrupt? For two things. One is, I think, um, you know, this idea like it might land up in a bad place. I think I would just reframe that as it might just be a smaller group. It might be multiple groups, you know, and it's not bad or good. It just might get clear on who's who's aligned and who isn't. And that's okay. Um, meaning, I don't think the size of the group is going to be the biggest factor in what we do. But what I would think might be interesting to hear you talk about more and share with Reed, because you haven't mentioned it, is the specific issue within the mission and goals that caused at least a couple people uh, to raise significant concern. And I'd be curious to hear Reed's take on it as well. Yeah. So, so the mission is very um, intentionally worded to 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 be focused on stopping um, systemic oppression in all organizations in our town, like all places, all organizations in our town, not just schools. Right. And that although the focus is on schools right now, schools do not. They are not the complete community. And so to think that you can change things just by changing schools seems like flawed thinking, right? Like you need to think about all of the connections between all of the systems. Yeah. And one of the systems that's obviously very connected is the police system, yeah. right? The school to prison pipeline. In our community, we have policing in schools. Um, and, you know, I'm in a group with people who've, experienced racial profiling. And so one of our goals is to, um, you know, work to reform policing policies and practices that negatively impact the BIPOC community here in our three towns. And there was initially language about stop and frisk. And that that bullet point, that goal really um, landed with people, with some people in a very strong way that made them worried. And it was obvious in the meeting 
you know, like one of the, one of the parents was like, wait a second, is there really a stop and frisk? Like, is this really happening in our community? I can't believe it. Um, and of course, the people of color in the meeting had to explain, yes, it's really happening. Here's what happened to me, um, which is, you know, to me, totally not okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> here again, um, people of color have to do the work of proving their point. Yes, it's really happening to me. I mean, we know this stuff is happening. Like, open your eyes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is part of the issue with living in segregated communities is like white people can spend their whole lives looking away and not knowing. And then people of color need to prove the truth to them. So I ended up reaching out to that parent afterwards and just saying, like, do you need another white person to work this out with? Because I can see from your comments in this meeting and the other meeting that you're having some cognitive dissonance between what you think is true and what you're hearing is true. And, you know, she, she explained that she knows all, she knows that there are issues with the police department and really detailed all the things she's seen and heard local police do that are highly problematic, but is worried that if we talk about that or even have it in the statement, it will turn off the regular townsfolk. Mm -hmm. And my response to her was like, I, if you are worried about the regular townsfolk, like, first of all, you can't control anyone else, right? You can only control your responses to things. So worrying about other people's responses to me seems, you know, futile. Um, and that if you're, if you're siding with the comfort of the regular townsfolk, as opposed to the real lived experience of people of color, like you're siding with the oppressor. That's, that's what I believe. Mm -hmm. And, and that's pretty, her, the end of the exchange was, well, I'm only working on school stuff. Yeah. And that's where we left it. There was also another email question, um, from another parent of like, hey, I thought we were only working on school stuff. Like, where'd this police conversation come in? Um, so it's there's there's it it's gonna come up. Like, right. it's gonna be the thing. Is this because you're coming at it from a perspective of we're trying to really make our community a better place, and other people are thinking like, I want my school to be good for my kid right now. And yeah, I think so that's part of it. Yeah. I think that's part of it. But but I also think the larger issue, and I think this is the issue, Reed, that like we're never gonna make real change if white comfort always wins. Because it's always gonna come up. And if people don't if people don't have the tools to start saying that they recognize it in themselves and that they can name it and they could say Oh, but that, you know, like, I don't have to, I don't have to believe that thought. I don't have to follow that thought. That thought's there to keep me safe. I get it, but it's actually not true. I don't actually deserve to be comfort, comfortable in this moment. And that's not the priority in this moment. We're never going to make progress because white people uphold white supremacy culture. So white Why people... Why jump in for a second? <laughs> First of all, I like... Uh the little toss to mindfulness right there. 
of just that's uh, emotional you know, intelligence, how, not mindfulness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could agree that mindfulness supports emotional intelligence, um, and that being aware of your discomfort and being okay with it or have skills enough to um, be with it is part of the uh, skill set that makes this work possible. Um, so that's how I, I was just saying that. But uh, a couple of things. Can I jump in with a couple possibilities that are coming up for me? Um, one is, and I'm not saying these are both, these are maybe to be tabled for future conversations. But I think as we go through this work, it's like this idea of performative uh, nature of activism seems like very real and very relevant. So in this conversation, we've talked about the superintendent's performance and the potential performative lens that folks in the committee, we don't know yet, or in the coalition seem to be taking, uh, or some of them, like that, you know, I'm, I'm okay with this, but not with that. The other thing that comes up for me is, just like woke culture and cancel culture, and like the delicate balance of showing up in this space as a white person without saying, I'm more woke than you, so listen to me, but, you know, really being genuine. And so I'm not, this is kind of coming up for me, that these will be issues that we'll have to figure out and navigate as we go through this work. Um, and I'm curious what you both think about that. Well, what I'll say is, uh, is you have a system that's controlled by the very people, many of whom are, uh, you know, protecting their own comfort. So, I mean, I wonder if, for example, the committee member you talked with, Jana, sort of is also thinking, if we uh, start talking about policing, uh, you know, she's probably partially afraid that everything's going to shut down and we'll accomplish nothing. And right. uh, mm -hmm. because because there are a lot of people out there that like, oh, no, you've hit, you know, that's a third rail for me or something. And so how do you, mm -hmm. it, are we trying to find a balance where we're trying to find, you know, that zone of proximal development for people to kind of nudge forward? Or is it like, no, it's time for just to speak the truth and we have to wake people up and it's going to make them uncomfortable and will the chips will fall where they may in terms of, you know, the kind of progress we can make in that. Yeah, I, I think we're all in different places, right? And I, I can't expect anyone, we've, we've all arrived where we are based on a lifetime of experiences and the beliefs and values we've developed. And so we can't all be in the same place. And it would be wrong to expect us all to be in the same place. So I can only speak for me. For me, there's no third rail. Like, it is what it is. And if people can't put their adult pants on and deal with it, we're going to get nowhere. We, there's no nudging forward anymore. We've been nudging forward for 200 years. We're nowhere. Yeah. Like it's, it's fine for us to nudge forward. It's not fine for people of color. So. Right. 
And and just to that point, only because you know you guys had shared with me, uh, you know, public comment that was was sent to the board, and yeah. there was a great line in um, a, a letter that wasn't written by either of you, but was read that same night. I'll look at the quote right here. Um, Our voices have not been heard, and we're asked to wait. In the civil rights context, the word "wait" always, uh, almost always, meant never. It's like, well, let's move forward on other things, and and. I think the black experience has always, especially in America, been put last. Maybe yeah. that letter was written by the co-author of the goals and mission stuff That's that right. John has been working with. And John, do you mind sharing the recent back and forth you've had with him regarding policing and um, Martin Luther King? Yeah, so... After he saw our exchanges, um, you know, mine and another parent's exchange, he he said, you know, I'm really I'm thinking of reading this quote at the next meeting. And it's another MLK quote about how northerners were outraged about everything that was happening in the South um, to black people. Um, But when it came to what was happening in their own communities, their language was always polite and their denial unequivocable and I mean he's 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 seen this over and over again in our communities it's like you know the, he he always talks about the white moderates who want to be involved want to want to feel good about their participation but when it gets ugly you know or when there's conflict or when they have something that they might lose because of it whether it's a relationship or good standing at a particular organization, they're nowhere to be seen. So with all of that, what's your strategy moving forward? Like if your, your, your coalition may be strengthening while shrinking, <laughs> and you may be, you may not care about anyone's comfort and, and feeling good, but what's, what's the strategy or what, what what's going to lead to actually anything changing potentially? Yeah. Well, you know, I try to have empathy, Reed. I really do. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, um, I'm going to do what I think is right. And what I think is right here is going back to the mission, vision, goal statement and making sure that the language is precise and clear and actionable and all tied together and putting it in front of the group again for another round of feedback and discussion. Um, you know, Tariq and I had emailed a little bit about like, do, do we drop this? Do we revise it? And I think we both landed on, we revise it to make it better, but in no way, shape or form do we drop the things that make people uncomfortable. Like we've gotta, we've gotta create a brave enough space that people are gonna talk it through and then make the decisions about what's right for them. We, we can't, you know, if, if we can't change people's minds, then, then we probably need to go our separate ways. And so if, I believe if, some people will come along. I do. Right. But I think no, it's going to be a smaller group of people. Sure. And is it so, but do you get to decide that? Like, are you and Tariq, for example, like it's, it's our way or, or not for this group? Like, is there? Um... I don't think so. I think there's space for people to work on the things that they want to work on within the group. 
but I would not be okay. Like this is where I'm going to be a dog with a bone. It's not okay for the group to say no one in the group can work on policing issues because it makes the rest of the group uncomfortable. You don't want to work on it. Don't work on it. You work on the cute school stuff. You work on getting a, you know, a community event going, um, another rally, do what makes you feel good. But, it, but you are not going to dictate to me what I can and can't do and or say around issues of social justice. Let me throw a thought in here. Um, just that, you know, what's kind of coming up for me is, you know, we're getting in the weeds of community organizing. And, you know, we don't really have experience doing it. We're kind of figuring it out as we go. But we're at this place where we've kind of made a decision, whether it was conscious or unconscious, which is we're not working to build a safe container for these for a group of people and then figure things out together within that safety. What we're doing is we're getting we're dating type of thing with each other. And we're gonna figure out who wants to be together and who doesn't. And we might realize the majority of this group wants to do something different. Okay, fine, we'll go start another group. I mean, I think we're early enough in this that there's a core, there's enough people that are aligned, that are clearly aligned, that there's energy. And we're going to follow that energy. And as we follow that energy, People are going to become uncomfortable and stick with it. People are going to become uncomfortable, drop off. People are going to become uncomfortable and do something different. That all sounds fine. That, that doesn't stop the momentum from occurring. On a very like pragmatic basis, that's what I see kind of happening. I'm curious, John, if you think differently about that. No, I, I think that's true. And I also... I'm, I'm glad you brought up the container because I think something that struck me when I was working with consultants from the, the Center for Racial Justice is that they always used to say, like, you know, when, when you do this work, people are going to do harm to each other. And it's a, it's a false narrative to think you can create a safe space to do this work in. It's just not possible. And they were the first people who ever said that. Everybody always pretends like, oh, we can have norms. We can take care of each other. No, it's, it's, it's too loaded. It's too charged. And that's how it is, which is why you need can to I, be okay with being uncomfortable. Right. I, I do want to throw another kind of connected thought in that just based on my work at uh, Mindfulness Director Initiative, MDI, Lately, some things have come up about these kind of frameworks for change or for community work or just even for people to um, be together and recognizing that maybe there's some like foundational principles, but the context matters and that what's right in one context is not so not necessarily right in the other and that I think you're bringing up this point of like, we're past this moment where we can, right, we can do this all in safety. 
And if we just follow this approach, this framework, build this container, we're going to be good. And I think, yeah, like this came up, I read, I don't know how much we've talked about it, but John and I have talked a little bit. One of the frameworks that's part of the community I'm in at MDI is uh, called nonviolent communication or NVC. And as I've been learning about it, I've been learning that there's now a group kind of within the NVC space that's basically saying, all right, we don't, we definitely think there's some difference doing this NVC work in different communities and different contexts. And that's like kind of heresy, I think, to the pure, the believers of the pure framework. I'm speaking about, I'm, I maybe understand this 80% at this point, so I may circle back to it later and clarify, but it just reminds me of how we can get stuck in paradigms that we want to be so pure, but that aren't really pragmatic. So that's my two cents on that. So, John, I want to ask you a, a, a just sort of a more personal question, maybe, which is yep. a, a lot of... Um, Mark and I, you know, a lot of our conversations have to do with sort of the things we're learning or kind of how we're growing, thinking about things differently. And I guess my question yep. would be, you know, over the course of the things we've been talking about here and, 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 the, and the activities and the sort of actions you've been taking in your own community, is there, are, are there any lessons, things you, you learn or, or, or have, have grown or any ways you're thinking about any of this differently just because of the work? that you've been uh, putting into this? Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've in the past maybe three to four years, I've learned a ton more. Um, I feel like this has been my biggest growth in a long time. Um, where I think I'm, I'm much clearer now that a, like, you just need to trust the BIPOC community, when they say stuff's happening, just believe them. Like there's no questioning. Um, things have been happening too long and we need to, we need to, we need to believe black people. We need to believe um, people of color when they say they're having, you know, bad experiences. Mm. And I also think we need to create opportunities for them to lead or just get out of the way and let them lead. Um, so in, even in groups like the ones we're in, even though it's a majority white group, like we need to trust the leadership of, of people of color in our group. And I think the third thing for me really is around this issue of comfort, because I definitely was one of those people a few years ago who thought that there needed to be norms and ways of communicating around hot, hot issues. Um, and I actually now believe that that does not matter at all. Like that just doesn't work. That's, that's not going to protect anyone. And that the real work is becoming comfortable with discomfort, that that's where you're going to grow. And if you're not willing to take that on, this is all, it's all pointless. It's, we're not going to get anywhere. Well, that's, 
really helpful for me to think about, right? And, and to reflect on how I feel about those lessons you're talking about and how I tr- see them, you know, how I'm trying to play out those opportunities. I mean, I'll just say, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that big question about trusting the BIPOC community and believing w- w- what you're hearing. I mean, I still mm-hmm. see my, I still see myself within my own organization having moments where, you know, a colleague says something and I, I still have this gut thing of like, really, that's your experience. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it's, it, it, you know, I just, the socialization we've gone through uh, and the worldview that, you know, me as, as a, you know, white middle-class straight guy growing up in New England, it's just like, it, we talk about systemic racism, but I think there's this socialization part that ties into that need for comfort and just that belief mm-hmm. that, you know, that belief that what I see is the way the world goes. And it's just so important for, for me to keep pushing back on that. So mm-hmm. thanks for that reminder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark, well, do you think we're uh, ready to wrap up for, for today? Yes and no. I mean, I feel like we're just kind of on the tip of the iceberg. And I feel like we could keep going on this for a long time. And it is a good time to stop. Both things are true in this moment. Well, the good news is we know where to find you, Jonna. Um, yeah, it's true. It doesn't mean you'll come back and talk with us again. But uh, <laughs> but we do I'll know be, how to I'll get I'll be in at touch the with... rooster coop if you need me. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate it. They've been like some nice background uh uh, music. Usually it's Mark's footsteps. I almost prefer the roosters, I think. Um, yeah, they've been really quiet, actually. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I'm going to be curious. We'll have to keep, I mean, we'll have to keep um, hearing how things are going uh, in your community. Maybe we'll get my wife, Joanna, on here because she's been doing some related work right here in our town. I mean, there's a lot of interesting parallels and hopefully, you know, these things are going on all across America. I keep getting anxious about like, when's it actually going to make a difference? But uh, I really mm-hmm. appreciate Mark and I have joked, right? It's like really nice that the women are, are leading this and we just get on, on this thing and talk about it. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, and on that note, as just a closing thought, I just want to give a shout out to Joanna because, you know, I think in a very real way, she was very supportive of the, uh, uh, the work we were doing, are doing by sharing resources and ideas. So I just want to acknowledge that. I will, I will pass that along to her. <laughs> yeah. There's good to that. talk with you again, Reed. <laughs> oh yeah, it's always good. <laughs> All right, well, thanks a lot guys. Have a good uh, rest of your weekend and um, we'll be talking soon. Okay. Bye Reed. Bye, Bye Jonna. Bye. You have been listening to The 3 to 10 Project, Episode 12, I'm Not Here to Play Around and Feel Good, recorded February 27th, 2021. Thanks very much to Jonica Cassetta for stepping in as a guest today. 
certainly made our podcast better. And thanks to Random Chiz for our theme music. <laughs>